Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and Managing Partner of Cordell and Cordell. And today we continue to bring you information for guys before, during, and after divorce and all things regarding family law. And as usual, we encourage you to set up an initial consultation. Uh, you can do so by calling us at 866-DANCE-LAW or going to our website at cordellcordell.com as that is not a substitute, or this isn't a substitute for a consultation. Uh, we'd like for you to do that. We want to hear the facts and circumstances of your case so we can provide you uh, direction, strategy, and advice. And something we really can't do here other than educational information and talking points. Again, remember, not legal advice today. So today is part two in our series where we were talking about uh, contribution, defined contribution plans, defined benefit plans, and really retirement plans and understanding uh, what the differences are. Uh, because uh, a lot of times when clients come in, we just say my retirement or my pension, and maybe it is a pension, maybe it is not. So I'm once again joined by Brandon up in Indianapolis. Welcome. Hi, thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me here. So we had a good conversation the last time we talked about uh, defined contribution plans. And today, let's talk about the other one, which is defined benefit plans. Uh, many people don't know the difference. And you know, to, to many, it's just, hey, that's my retirement. And they don't think about the peculiarities or the intricacies of the plans and they are distinctly different and we treat them differently in divorce and we divide them differently in divorce and it's the best thing is to identify what it is first so for guys listening you know they can go back and listen to the last podcast we did together we talked about it let's talk about what defined benefit plans are let's start there what is a defined benefit plan well, so when we're talking about defined benefit plans, the, the main distinction we're drawing is between that and a, uh, a defined contribution plan, which, as you said, we, we talked about uh, last week, so people can go back and watch that. Uh, we break it down into these two distinctions because when it comes to retirement plans, these are really the, the two main types people have. And a defined benefit plan is going to be very distinct from a defined contribution plan in a couple of ways. Uh, first off, when you think of it conceptually, it's going to be a very simple idea, right? Um, but when we are talking about dividing it, figuring out values for it, it becomes much more complex. Uh, but what makes it simple is it's a retirement plan that's based on a promised payout to you as the participant, or uh, if it's an employer-based one, as the employee. Uh, it's a group account, uh, which means, and that's is a big distinction between this and a defined contribution plan, uh, it's not your investment you are in a sense invested in the plan, but you don't as a participant have any control. It's controlled entirely by a trust. So uh, ultimately, when you're talking about a defined benefit plan, you're talking about a plan that pays out generally on a monthly basis uh, that you do not have the ability to control the investments for. And as a result, the risk on the plan uh, is borne uh, initially by the trust, then it's gonna be borne by the plan sponsor, which is usually going to be your employer. And in some cases, and we'll talk just a little bit about this today, uh, it might even be the government that becomes responsible for it through something called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, or PBGC, you may have heard of. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, maybe this is the case where if you follow a lot of, uh, like in the state of Illinois, where their pensions are well underfunded, or maybe the liability that they're looking forward to in the future is so massive that that's what's causing an imbalance in their budget is, and you know, they want money, they want a bailout to try to help fund these pensions, right? Yeah, and, and that's something that uh, we're seeing. It, it's been a problem for long enough that we've actually got the PBGC in place to try to protect 
certain pensioners from losing their pensions. You know, you certainly saw this uh, about 15 years ago or so with the airlines. Uh, a lot of them uh, had trouble balancing their budgets when they had a lot of retirees and now they're paying out these pensions and they don't have the income coming in that they'd planned for. So that uh, that sort of poor planning on their part has led to the need for someone to come in uh, and make sure that at least some amount of that benefit is still going to go back to the pensioner. So yeah, we're always going to be looking for that. Uh, and you know, we don't see defined uh, benefit plans like we're talking about today as often anymore, largely because of those types of problems. So uh, one of the things that you might want to look for to, to find out, do I have a defined benefit plan? Uh, they certainly still exist now, but we saw a lot more of them historically. So the, the longer uh, you've had the plan in place, the longer you've worked for your employer, for example, the more likely it is that you might actually have a pension plan. Mm -hmm. It's like the pilots. I think the pilots, you mentioned airlines, had to give up some of their pension. You know, they cut, you know, took a slice off of their you know, monthly amount in the future just to keep the airline floating and their jobs intact. I think that's what happened, right? Yeah, and the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation doesn't guarantee 100% of your pension. And this is one of the reasons it's so important for us to bear that in mind as we're dealing with these sorts of cases. If you have a pension plan uh, that, that has had to have the government step in and take over, you may not have as much as you thought you did, which means we have to make sure we know exactly what those amounts are. And it's also going to change who we have to submit any documentation to in order to divide it. Yeah. So, you know, we can define it and kind of identify it. And I think the next step is really the question everybody listening is, do I have one? And, you know, again, we use these terms so loosely. Well, my retirement plan, that could be a 401k, a 403b, it could be an IRA, it could be a Roth, it could be a pension, a defined contribution. It, it's just because we've been ingrained to just say my retirement account. So guys are saying, okay, do I have one? So what do you, how do you direct them uh, to get a better understanding without getting into the details of whether or not they have a defined benefit plan? So really what we're going to look for first and foremost are going to be some keywords. But uh, a quick caution before I, I get into that is that uh, these keywords should apply, but they don't always. So the first word we're looking for to find out if we've got a defined benefit plan is always pension. Pension typically means that you are dealing with a defined benefit style plan. But every once in a while, pension will get used to refer to a defined contribution plan. So it's not a guarantee. So we want to keep looking a little bit beyond that. Uh, the other words we're going to look for are things like annuity, right? Monthly payments. Uh, you're going to look at your statement. Uh, the statement that you get from your retirement uh, is going to tell you uh, a lot of information about this. And what we're looking for is uh, a statement that says this is what your anticipated monthly benefit is going to be at the time of retirement. Might break down how they come up with that, but if that's what your statement says, there's a very good chance that you're dealing with uh, a defined benefit plan. Now, you may get a statement uh, from your defined benefit plan that gives you an estimated account value. It'll typically say estimated on it. Uh, if you do get that, just a quick note here, that value is not necessarily correct. Uh, when we're talking about these types of benefits, and this is something we'll get into here in a little bit more, but when we're talking about how do we value this, if we're gonna value it, we have to consider a lot more than just what's going to be on a statement that says what your monthly benefit is, or the best guess of the, of the plan's uh, administrators. Um, we have to consider time value of money. We have to consider uh, actuarial tables. Uh, these are going to make it very hard for us to 
uh, to gauge what these values are. And, and what I mean by that, of course, with time value of money, uh, a dollar that you can get on a monthly basis somewhere down the road at time of retirement uh, is not worth the same as a dollar in your pocket today. Uh, between that and inflation that we anticipate but cannot, uh, we can't really know for certain what inflation is going to look like. We just know it's probably going to happen. Between those two things, there's an uncertainty there in those, in those values. At actuarial tables, of course, uh, those are not individualized. Those are based on uh, our best guess, based on what we know about your demographic, what your, uh, your anticipated lifespan is going to be. And so when we're trying to value a, uh, a plan that's going to pay out on a monthly basis until the day that you die, trying to figure out what that's worth is an incredibly complicated process, and it is a very imprecise science. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about statements with an estimated value, I think we mentioned the last time we talked about this was, you know, this fluctuation of a, of a traditional 401k, where you may see based on market swings, you know, one day it's 50,000, the next day it's 40,000, and then 60,000, and these giant swings with a total account value, where in, in this defined benefit, you would see maybe, as you suggest, maybe a monthly amount, it's $500 a month. And that may not be the exact amount you get, is I'm dealing with a police officer. And his uh, monthly defined benefit is based upon his last three highest years of compensation, and then that amount is set at that point. But it's you get an estimate on his statement that shows, okay, right now it's worth $1,225. Now, that may go up or down based upon his highest income. So, I mean, that's maybe your first indicator is to look at that statement. As you suggest, I think that's a good direction. But as you know, why we're talking about uh, the defined benefit is really when it comes to divorce. So why is it important uh, to dis have that distinction between defined contribution, defined benefit, traditional ERISA type plans? Why is it important and what do you do with that? Well, really, when we're talking about a defined benefit plan, we're talking about a plan that cannot be divided simply by splitting it down the middle or giving a percentage from one party to the other, not in the sense that we can with the defined contribution plan. With those plans, of course, uh, you can very easily determine a value. And while there are tax implications and other things that need to be considered with those, you can at least get a sense of more or less what that's worth. And it's very easy to offset, uh, especially if you've got another a retirement plan like it. When we're dealing with a defined benefit plan and we want to divide that, uh, typically what we're going to see is we're going to look at dividing those uh, based on that monthly benefit. So when we're defining or when we're trying to figure out how do we want to divide one of these plans, uh, if we can find a way where uh, we can give one part of the monthly benefit to the uh, to the pensioner to the participant in the plan. And another part, the uh, you know the other party's share uh, on a monthly basis. We want to try to do that because then we're not guessing at how much is this account actually worth. But that doesn't mean that's the only option. We can certainly go in and try to have it valued. But when we do that, we're talking about having an expert come in. That expert's got to look at the plan, uh, has got to look at uh, the the actuarial tables, the time value of money. Uh, if there are survivor benefits, they need to be considering those. And they're going to come up with an estimated value for that. When you've got that, if you've got an account, or, or I'm sorry, an estate with a significantly high dollar value attached to it, it may be worth doing that so that you don't have that monthly division down the road uh, in order to offset uh, your best guess as to what that's worth uh, at the time of the divorce and, and offset it with some other asset. 
there's a lot of stuff that has to be uh, considered before you decide how you're going to make that happen. So obviously talking to an attorney and having that expert valuation is going to be absolutely essential in making something like that happen. But those are really the two ways that we can do that. And every state has their own rules, particularly when it deals with defined benefit. So it could be when you're licensed in Indiana, they may have a different rule than Missouri, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and especially when we're talking about uh, state-based plans. And one of the things that, uh, that we always need to be cognizant of, no matter what kind of retirement plan we've got, uh, we need to know uh, who is our plan sponsor. Is, is this a government plan? Is it an employer plan? Is it uh, a private plan that you've purchased from uh, a financial company? Uh, all of that's going to be very important in determining this. And so when you ask about states and their rules, when states create their own defined benefit plans, as they often do, those defined benefit plans can have very, very strict and very, very different rules on how you can divide them. So you mentioned that I've got a license in Indiana, and, and here we've got a state-based pension plan uh, that is by law, by state law, cannot be divided. So I cannot write an agreement that says that uh, the participant's going to get X percent per month, and then the what we call the alternate payee, the, the divorced spouse, will get some other percentage of that. It simply cannot be done. But of course, our courts will still consider that that money will be going to the plan participant, and so there may be an offset somewhere uh, in some other part of the marital estate to account for the fact that they're going to get it, which can be very difficult, especially when we don't have an estate with enough money that we can do that division which means that now we're trying to find out uh, what's an alternative. And, and all too often that becomes uh, dividing the money as it starts to pay out and taking a wild guess as to what the tax implications are. And then unfortunately, someone ends up having to write a check or setting up a, uh, a bank auto deposit to the, the former spouse once all those uh, payments start to come in and they'll just continue throughout uh, the participant's life uh, or the life of the alternate payee. Uh, Colorado, where I used to work, uh, and, and I'm not currently licensed there, but while I was there, we dealt with a plan there uh, that had its own particular rules. We could divide it. However, if you didn't get all of your documentation filed by very specific deadlines, you would lose the ability to get that divided. So you may agree to it in an order and then be unable to carry out what's in your court order. And that creates a whole world of problems mm -hmm. for you if that happens. It's like anything in the law, we talk about this for the last 13, 14 months, and that is timeliness, being aware of timelines and not sitting on your rights. You know, that's why they, we, we start every podcast with a mention of a consultation. And it's the best hour you'll ever spend and make sure you understand your rights, not only what you know, can, will, what's likely to happen, but what your deadlines are, what you should be doing. And so that's really important to point out is that, and I know we talked a little bit about it in our virtual town hall, and that is the statute of limitations with regards to the division. That's so critical and important to understand. Even in the toughest of times, there are usually opportunities for relief. Many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders. You should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations, but time is of the essence. If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. We talk about deadlines, but there are other things that you should be looking out for. I think we, we alluded to some of it 
Um, you and I talked a little bit about it, but also in the virtual town hall, like for example, survivor benefits. That's something that someone listening should be thinking, okay, it's not as simple as just dividing a plan. You want to talk about survivor benefits, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and the survivor benefits are going to do two things that, uh, that you want to be aware of right off the bat. One of them is it probably costs you money. Very rarely are you going to have a benefit that says uh, that after the death of the participant, uh, their, their spouse or former spouse is going to continue to receive that money uh, without there being some cost attached to it. So the total benefit generally goes down when we have a survivor benefit that's being paid. And who's part of the, uh, the benefit is that coming out of is something we need to be cognizant of when we're making these sorts of, uh, these sorts of agreements or asking for these orders out of the court. Also, when we're looking at, at uh, valuing these plans, we absolutely need to be very cautious uh, to ensure that that survivor benefit is also valued. Imagine a situation in which uh, you have uh, a divorce between two parties with a 10-year age difference, and the younger of the two is going to receive that survivor benefit. That's going to last for life. And if they're going to get that survivor benefit for life after the anticipated uh, death of the participant, there's potentially huge value in that. So if you're going to try to divide uh, these accounts based on evaluation, knowing what that's worth can can drastically impact uh, what is or is not a fair deal in a case. Yeah, and I think that survivor benefit is huge, and many attorneys just overlook it. They don't realize that it really is a property value, as you suggest, that has tremendous value for the recipient, not the earning you know spouse, where it cuts into their benefit. And, and especially, I'm dealing with a case where you do have a um, an age difference here, and so. Uh, that can be something that and and really plays into what you and I have spoken about, and that is our our pension benefits department at Cordell and Cordell. And that is, let's do that analysis. Let's figure out what it's worth. Let's see kind of and let's offset it maybe with other property. Let's just take a peek at what is happening here, so you get the true sense of what's going to be divided because that's huge. You know that only you know you think about vesting. Maybe certain rights aren't vested. Um, it's really understanding. Not just, hey, let's just divide it, just give her 50%, but really, you know, you want to understand what portion's vested. Maybe there's a non-marital part portion of it that was earned before the marriage, and, and really understanding that. It's important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and not just vesting. There's a lot of things that we're going to be looking for uh, in these types of plans. And these are things that are going to be uh, unique to your defined benefit plans. You're not going to have issues. Uh, you will have vesting issues with a defined contribution plan. But springing, for example, uh, what that means is sometimes if the alternate payee is receiving a portion of your benefit pursuant to a qualified domestic relations order or a similar type of document dividing that plan, uh, you may have a situation where if that person passes away and the participant is still alive, that benefit may or may not spring back to the participant. So knowing whether or not that's going to happen becomes essential. And other times you have, uh, and, and this is a huge thing that you can potentially overlook, you can have refund or cash out provisions uh, in some of these plans. So while I've been sitting here telling you, you can't figure out a cash value of these things, you can't divide them up front, every once in a while you can, but it's typically at a lower value. And a great example of this is uh, the federal employee retirement system has a refund option that uh, that can potentially be elected by the participant. And if you haven't considered that at the time of the divorce, uh, imagine yourself at the wrong end of this where uh, you're anticipating that your client or is the former spouse you're going to receive uh, a certain amount of money on a monthly basis out of that FERS. Uh, 
and then the participant chooses to uh, <laughs> refund all of their money to them, they're going to get significantly less. It's going to come out all at once. And the deal you thought you had is no longer the deal that you did have. And that may seem like something no one's going to do because who would take less money? Well, the answer is somebody who's been diagnosed with a terminal illness. They'll pass away within a year or so of their retirement. Suddenly that long-term monthly payout looks less beneficial for them. And if they can get away with it based on what's in their divorce decree, they just might try it. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. It, it, it is one of those areas where you have a lot of guys who just say, look, just let's just split everything. And they don't want to, they don't think that there's that many details. And, you know, we've been speaking for about 17, 18 minutes and our head's going to explode with the intricacies of this, right? There are so many factors that a guy needs to consider if they have this and to determine what really is the appropriate. And maybe you're going to bring in your financial planner uh, when you're thinking about these things as well. And especially when you're dividing, if you're getting it, that's fine. Uh, but I do think it's worth a conversation. So as we kind of wrap up the segment, the question then becomes, let's give guys some um, ideas and some walking away points. What can they do? What should they do as they're thinking and listening to this podcast? Well, obviously, Scott, the first thing we want to do is get information and get it early. Uh, we don't want to be trying to gather this after the fact. Uh, and this is essential when we're talking about defined benefit plans. We cannot effectively negotiate if we don't know what we're dealing with. Now, it may be that you've got an attorney who knows your plan, and that's very helpful. But if it's a plan that, that your attorney is not familiar with, and there are so many of these things that it is very likely that your attorney has not seen your particular plan, you want to get that information. And that means contacting your plan administrator if you need to, issuing subpoenas to make sure that you get that early and you know what's going on. Particularly, you're looking for a plan summary. That's going to tell you a whole lot about what you can or can't do. Your attorney needs that so your attorney can review that uh, and, and really be able to best advise you uh, in terms of what we can accomplish, how we can best protect you, uh, and what we can anticipate happening with those retirement plans. Uh, we also need to figure out what else is in the estate. Do we want this to be valued? Or are we going to have to look at a division of the monthly benefit? Uh, and that means looking at the estate as a whole in most states. So you want to make sure that you're aware of uh, what else you have that's going to be considered along with that. Let me ask you, what if somebody's in retirement? They're in pay status. What happens? What should they do? Well, that's, that's a really important part uh, of the conversation because if somebody's already in pay status, uh, depending on the state you're in, there's a good chance that all those payments that, uh, that the participant in pay status is receiving are a part of the marital estate and can be divided. That's a huge thing here in Indiana where we look at the date of filing to value the estate. Uh, if a two-year divorce process goes forward during which time uh, you know, someone is receiving those monthly payments, the court is likely, not just possibly, the court is likely going to come back and say uh, that one half of all those payments, which seem like they are income to you, uh, are actually marital property. And now one half of that has to be paid out from someplace mm -hmm. to pay back uh, the, the former spouse on what uh, was, according to the court, their marital share of that. So you need to be aware very quickly, do you need to be setting some of this aside to protect yourself? Uh, you know, what can you do? Also, being in pay status is going to impact the value of the account, how we can divide it, and the way that we draft those documents. So your attorney needs to be aware of that for those reasons as well. Yeah. I mean, I think when you mentioned this pay status and 
whether it's property, we did a podcast about, you know, at least a month ago on double dipping. Is it property? Mm -hmm. Is it income? I mean, you can't have it both ways. It's always been my argument is, look, judge, it's got to be one or the other. Because if, especially if you're trying to calculate child support or spousal support, you can't say, I'm going to take 50% of this property, and then I'm going to use 100% of the value to calculate support because it's double dipping. And you're now taking money from money you don't have, right? Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And every, every state is going to be potentially different. And some have very hard and fast rules on that. Uh, I, I'm hoping it's changed by now. But when I was practicing in Colorado, speaking of the double dip, that was actually law. It was the double dip was not only allowable, it was supposed to happen, which was, of course, something that was very frustrating for a lot of family law attorneys. Yeah. Uh, so being aware of that is going to be uh, a huge knowing what your state does uh, and what you can do. And sometimes you've got uh, support issues. Sometimes it's just a question of, uh, and, and perhaps this is a conversation for another day, uh, the idea of the graying divorce. If you're already in pay status and you're receiving that money and now you're going to divide one half of it, your entire life plan at that point was based on your belief that you're going to be getting that amount of money per month. When that gets divided in half, that can be devastating when you are at the point in your life where you cannot go back to work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it flips every plan you have on its head and uh, it's terrible. And I think you're right. We've done a seminar years ago on the graying divorce and what, what you can do and what to expect. And that is for another day. But Brandon, as always, you know, it's clearly, you know what you're talking about and I appreciate your time today. And uh, in this part two of our series on, on uh, benefit plans and defined contributions. So thanks for joining. No, oh, thanks for having me on. This is always something I enjoy doing with you. Yeah, I encourage you guys to go, and you're listening here, go back and listen to Brandon's other podcast that we did last week. Uh, it's important to kind of get both of those, understand what you have. And as you know, if you want to have a conversation with Brandon or any of the attorneys at Cordell and Cordell on this issue or, or anything else, give us a call, 866-DADS-LAW, or go to the web, cordellcordell.com, schedule a consult. We can do it via Zoom, uh, WebEx, FaceTime, in person, on the phone, uh, whatever is appropriate for you. Uh, so check us out. Also follow us on social media, and then we'll be having a virtual town hall coming up in April. You want to go to the website, cordellcordell.com, check it out, uh, and go ahead and register. The only way to attend is to register. You can log in, uh, join live with our panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys, ask questions and get answers right then and right there. Now, if you have questions and you want one uh, answered during that town hall, uh, you don't want to ask it during it, but you can submit those to townhalls at cordelllaw.com. Dot com. That's townhalls at cordelllaw.com. Thanks for joining. Until next time, have a great week.